Well, let's kick off the 80s, all right, with with a show that you and I just absolutely fell down in love with when it first aired, and that was Bosom Buddies. Oh, right? yeah. 1980 to 1982. Two seasons. Tom Hanks, Peter Scolari, uh, two guys that basically have to, their, their building got torn down that they lived in. They have no place to live. So they're told that they can live in this building uh, dirt cheap rent. However, it's a building only for women. So they Susan have B. To, Anthony. So they have to pose as Buffy and Hildegard <laughs> right. as the, so they can live in this building. Yeah. Um, but our, that, that first episode really ranks up there, in my opinion, when they're when they're getting ready for work uh-huh. and they have the wigs on uh-huh. and they're shaving and Peter comes out with the, what was that little, that spring thing that <laughs> made you strong like, for the chest? And, and the song that was playing? Macho Man. Was Macho Man by the Village People. That's right. And I, to me, it was like one of one of the great memories of TV in my childhood. Well, we talk about the, when we, we did the previous episode on the Top 40 from 1979, the Billy Joel song, My Life. And that was the opening to this. And what was amazing was it wasn't someone else singing the song. It was the actual Billy Joel song. Yes. And I, I don't know if that was ever done by anybody else, but in our universe, we never heard that before. Right. Yeah, that's true. But It was kind of like your first MTV like crossover. Later in the 80s, we get a lot of uh, Miami Vice connection to television. And, you know, really played off with the MTV. And they kind of did that with Bosom Buddies, where they really drew us in with two songs right off the bat. You know, we got Billy Joel, we got the Village People immediately. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, it was a big ensemble cast. Telma mm-hmm. Hopkins, who was originally with Tony Orlando and Dawn. She was one of the backup singers. She was on that show. Donna Dixon, who was Homer Simpson's guest <laughs> in the Christmas episode. That's exactly also, what I was thinking. Also, Mrs. Dan Aykroyd. Uh, she she was on the show. She was the the beautiful blonde, um, Holland Taylor, who ended up going on to have a major major career. She was on Two and a Half Men as the mom. She's been in a bunch of movies, and uh, you know she played their boss at the advertising agency. Uh, so it, it kicked off quite a few careers. Yeah, and obviously Tom Hanks goes on to be arguably the biggest actor of Gen X. And Peter Scolari had a very respectable Broadway career in his own right, stage acting, and has been in in uh, many other things, you know, as well. So it was, it was big, it was a pretty important big time cast. Yeah, I was kind of su- always surprised that the show didn't last longer. Now they did change it, uh, you know, after like the first season, mm-hmm. they started messing with the formula somewhat, and then it goes off the air. Right. But as far as Young little Scott and Sean High, we really like the show. Yeah, so that ran from 1980 to 1982. Another show that we watched that came out in 1980, we had mentioned him before in the Mary Tyler Moore show, and I don't know if Sean remembers this, but Too Close for Comfort. It is actually on my list. Really, is yeah, it? Because I can tell you it ran from 1980 to 1987, and I used to watch the show. Yeah, it originally aired on ABC. And then it got canceled after, I think, five seasons. And then it got picked up on syndication. So it ran, it had a second life in syndication, which happened to a couple of shows, uh, you know, during this time. Syndication became more of a thing for uh, sitcoms and TV shows. And Too Close for Comfort was one of the first to actually be a part of that. Uh, so obviously, Ted Knight is the, the He's main Henry, character. Henry Rush. He's the, uh, he, he draws like that cosmic cow. Cosmic cow, yeah. that's right. And of he was course, a, he was an artist. He made comic books for a young kid. The uh, the breakout character was Monroe. 
Jim J. Bullock. Jim J. Bullock. Because the, they had the two daughters that lived in the apartment downstairs. That's why it was too close for comfort. That's right. Because um, so, they moved out, but they didn't totally move out. Right. Um, so it was just a vehicle for Ted Knight. And they ended up having a child. I think she got pregnant after season one or season two. And the, the show didn't fare very well. I don't think the audience liked the fact that, you know, white-haired Ted Knight <laughs> was going to become a dad. Right. Uh, so it did not it did not fare very well after that, but it did go have a a longer run in syndication and ended up lasting six years. Pretty amazing. I mean, it's it it did have a lot of staying power, but you know, as I said, it's a show that we watched, and so um, you know, we I thought we both f- thought the Jim J. Bullock character was pretty funny. Yeah. at the time, yeah. and then I, then suddenly he appears later on in Hollywood Squares as the center square, but. Uh, we, uh, we we definitely uh, like that character. He was uh, he was Prince Valium in uh, Spaceballs. <laughs> That's right, he was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that was too close for comfort. Another show that debuted in 1980, it got removed in 1982, and then got picked up by syndication in '85. So it ran from '85 to '89 in syndication. But it's the show. It's a living. I don't know if you remember that show. I do, I do. But it, and it it was that was an odd show because of the whole syndication thing. Yes, because I do remember being on the network, and then suddenly it was gone, and then it appeared had some different characters added to it. Well, typically, you know, when a show gets canceled and gets picked up, it's usually immediately. Whereas this one disappeared for three seasons before it got picked up again, which is of all the shows that we have that that started on one network and ended on another. This is the only one that disappeared and then came back so so much later. Well, I I remember it was kind of like uh, built around Angelian. Angelian. But then she goes away, right? I mean, she's not like throughout I mean, is that did she have her illness? She she did she had breast cancer. Yes, that yeah. was when she was on the show. Yes. Right. Yeah. So she goes away and then I you know, kind of remember it's the first time we ever see Chris Bernard appear. Mhm. That's right. And she ends up going on to another show that we're going to talk about right. a little bit later. But that was It's a Living, which debuted in 1980. Now we're going to go to uh, NBC, 1981. Very popular show for, for a season or two. Something that, uh, A show we watched week after week. Give me a break, I sure deserve it. It's time I made it to the top. Yes, that is not Nell Carter. That is not the original. Nell Carter was the star of the show, and she sang the theme song as well. Uh, really funny show uh, in the very beginning. And I I know that's kind of the challenge of sitcoms is like, how do you keep finding the storylines? How do you keep how do you keep the, the, the show going in a positive way? And it, for some of these shows, it's like you have a bad season and, and you're done. And I think, unfortunately, for for the, a show like Give Me the Break, which ended up going on for six seasons, right? You know, the last the last couple of seasons were were definitely they were trying to go in a different direction because they didn't like the fact that Nell was basically a housekeeper for uh, this police officer and his the police chief mm-hmm. and his family of daughters. You know, his wife passed away, so he needed somebody to help do things around the house. Chief Carl. Yep. And they come in and I guess they need to feel the, the need to have the characters evolve over time. Right. And that's what they tried to do with Nell. And, and unfortunately 
that in a change in time, in a time slot, really can impact it in a negative way. And, you know, once again, another show that we really, you know, tuned in on a weekly basis. And it's the first time we see that young Joey Lawrence. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's, he's very, very young when he's on this show. Yes, he is. Uh, you know, and, and he ends up becoming a, a part of the family because he's not one of the original kids. Uh, Chief Carl had three daughters. Uh, he had the oldest one who was the, the pretty popular one. Then you had the, the middle daughter who was the brainy, kind of socially awkward one. And then you had the youngest who is trying to be a cross between the two. I just remember one of our friends that we grew up with with church, and that would be Joey Landis, mm-hmm. had an absolute incredible crush on the youngest Really? Oh yeah, he, okay. thought, he thought she was. She th- thought she was cute. And yet another ep- show where Telma Telma Hopkins appears. Oh, I didn't know she was. Yeah, on the show. she's on the show. She's like Nell's friend. Okay. Yeah, and she ends up on this list later on too. Mm-hmm. So Telma Hopkins um, was on Bosom Buddies. She goes right over to to a show like Give Me the Break. Give Me a Break. That was from 1981 to 1987. 1982 groundbreaking year in television i think especially this is the year that kind of redefined a network in in many regards and i'm talking about nbc you're starting to see some success with shows like different strokes which came on a few years earlier and then you have a show like give me give me a break which was very uh highly rated now all of a sudden you get a show that started out terribly but ended up becoming Arguably the best show that maybe the network ever put out, and that's Cheers. Ran from 1982 to 1993 and was the lowest rated show on TV its first year. How How is it even possible? It almost got canceled. It avoided the chopping block. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm, I, I'm obviously we're glad that it, it avoided it. But, you know, I, th- this was a show that is one of the greatest shows ever. You know, we talked about All in the Family automatically going in the top 10. Cheers automatically goes in the top 10. It does, yeah. From the day it started, uh, you and I Mm -hmm. loved that. And I think maybe because we were so into sports and the fact that uh, Ted Danson's character, Sam Malone, was a former Major League Baseball pitcher who drank himself out of baseball. Right. Uh, His his former coach is his bartender. Yeah, when we loved coach. Uh, Yeah, he was the best. Ernie. The, the the greatest episode, in my opinion, is the poker game episode <laughs> with with Harry. With Harry, yeah. I mean, that is just that is so brilliant. The way that 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 way that episode was written, um, you know, where where Coach is scratching his nose and he's saying, "I just want to let you know I'm scratching my nose," and because but it was a, it was one of the great double crosses. He's, he's given the signal for the cards that he has, and, and yeah, it's the old bun signal. Yeah, yeah, and because you know, Coach is a kind of a, a dimwit, yeah, and uh, but so lovable. I when he passed away, I to me, I didn't know how they were going to replace him, and then they bring in uh, Woody Harrelson, yeah, and they they really they go even higher to another level. Um, I don't know, it's you know, for whatever reason they they started clicking, and then they would lose characters like when Diane goes off the show, and then they bring in um, Kirstie Alley, Kirstie Alley, yeah, yeah. and. Rebecca. Rebecca. It, it's, it's just amazing how they were able to, to have these characters come out. And then you would have these side little characters sitting around the bar, like uh, Norm and Cliff. And then Frasier, uh, you know, who comes as this pompous 
guy who's Diane's boyfriend at one time, and then he becomes the cynical guy sitting at the end of the bar. Yeah, he becomes one of the guys. Yeah. It is, uh, I think, where everybody likes the, the different characters is that deep down, I think if you are a regular guy, regular person, you know somebody very similar mm-hmm. to one of the characters on the show. I mean, we're not even talking about Rhea Perlman. Right. Who plays Carlo Tortella, Tortelli. And she's one of the great characters of the show, too. Mm-hmm. It's just another... Uh, very well casted show and when that show first aired did any did, were any of the actors recognizable i mean maybe shelly long she had been in a couple of movies Rhea Perlman, she had been on taxi that's true a, a little bit you know it, at the time was married to danny devito so she probably had a little bit of a name yeah but not a big name um but a, you know great show like sean said it's in anybody's top 10 and that was cheers 1982 to 1993, 11 seasons. One of my personal favorites uh, when it came out, this is another NBC show, had a really good, strong first couple of years. Here we are, face to face, a couple of silver spoons. Hoping to find we're two of a kind, making a go, making it grow together. where we see a young Justin Bateman for the very first time. Yes. Uh, but this is Silver Spoons, uh, a show built for, for Ricky Schroeder. And it's about a kid who grew up without his father and finds him. Uh, you know, he, he's, he grows up as a rich kid. He's going to military school and he decides to, to find his dad. Well, it turns out his dad is this big goofball, you know, Man child who hasn't grown up. He likes to play video games and likes to have fun and he's and, got and no responsibility. He had that giant train mm-hmm. that would he would ride into the set. Yes. And, and to me, as a kid, I thought that was awesome. Yep. And again, it was uh there's some really good characters. And that was then, he was Edward Stratton the third. Edward Stratton and he was Ricky Stratton. And uh so Edward is living off his father's immense wealth. You know, his dad is this stodgy John Houseman, plays the grandfather to Ricky. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, Edward is just this kind of big, goofy kid. And it turns out that by meeting the, you know, these two guys coming together, father and son, that Edward ends up, you know, maturing, becoming more responsible, falls in love with his uh, personal assistant, who's played by the lovely Aaron Gray. Uh, and she's Kate. Yep. Yeah, Kate Summers. And, you know, the show really had a a good, strong start. Like I said, you know, uh, what was was, uh, his friend's name with the glasses and the blonde hair in the first couple of seasons? Who, who, Ricky's friend? Yeah, he always used to freak out. It it wasn't Dudley. Um, Well, he was was buddies with uh, Afonso Rubieros on the show. That came on on a little bit later, but the first couple of seasons, there was a blonde-haired kid with glasses. And I can't remember what what his what his name on Freddy? the show was. Freddie, yes, yeah, yeah Freddie. Freddie was great. I love Freddie. That's right, Freddie. Yeah, sure. When when he and Ricky go to the ice cream shop and try and pick up girls, <laughs> was <laughs> and he ends up spilling the ice cream on himself. It was great. Yeah. It's good stuff. And again, it's another character that I really got into because here here the characters on TV were playing kids my age. 
So some of some of the things now, obviously, we did not grow up in immense wealth. No. Although we, you know, our family did own the largest tire store in Nesville. <laughs> right. Uh, but there were, you know, there were some. They kind of dealt with some, you know, social, you know, peer pressure and, you know, dealing with little social awkwardness and it, whether you're rich or poor, you know, kids can still go through the same types of issues. And I, I just, I love Silver Spoons. That was one of my favorites. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Whitney Houston, a young Whitney Houston, make yes. an appearance on the show? She did. Because like right she, when she's kicking off the career and she was kind of dating that, the Dexter character. Dexter. Yeah. Because yeah. they had a different lawyer in the beginning of the show and then they brought dexter in later and there is an episode where they kind of bringing her in because she ends up singing saving all my love for you yeah i think it's the song she sings yeah and uh yeah they did bring her character bring her in as a character on the show i was not watching the show much at that time but for some reason i think it's because whitney houston was kind of you know there was there was something brewing there. I think I tuned into that episode just to see that one. So this this aired on NBC for four seasons, and then had one year in syndication. Uh, so unfortunately, NBC decided to move on from it. But I think I think as the network goes, it was really important for to kind of keep that strength because this was one of the this was one of the flags you know Keystone shows that made NBC a popular network again because remember when we talked about sitcoms in the 70s nbc was hardly brought up right right yeah and so far uh you know you're starting to you know rattle off a few of these that are big time uh shows and it's sure like silver spoons i don't know that a lot of people would look back and say oh that that's like one of the greatest shows ever it's just kind of interesting to see that this was probably a good cash cow for mm-hmm. nbc it was solid yeah absolutely it was a it was a popular ratings winner right. for its time slot. Uh, another show that got off to a kind of a slow start, but in my opinion, just might end up, in my opinion, this might be the best sitcom ever. Been together for a million years. And I bet we'll be together for a million more. Like I started breathing on the night we kissed And I can't remember what I ever did before What would we do, baby, without us? What would we do, baby, without us? And we're talking about family ties. Another show that got off to a really, really slow start in the ratings. I mean... At this point in 1982, if you're going strictly by ratings, Silver Spoons is kicking the crap out of Cheers and Family Ties. So, although they, both those shows end up becoming, you know, two of the best ever. The only correction that I'll make to what you said about about that intro was when you said this may be the greatest sitcom because to me this is the greatest sitcom. This is number one. This is my all-time favorite. I can't believe... You know, it's funny, um, and I've mentioned Pluto, the, the, the TV channel before, the app. Yeah. Um, you know, they have they have shows... Ded- they have channels dedicated to certain shows, and they do have a Family Ties channel. Okay. Uh, I've gotten really gotten into watching all the episodes again mm-hmm. in succession, and 
you get sucked in because it is such a good show. Yeah. Uh, such a well-written show. It it takes on, you know, we mentioned about Norman Lear and how he was able to look go after certain issues with humor. A lot of it had to do with, you know, he talked about whether you talked about race or gender equality or education. You know, Norman Lear tackled big, big topics. Uh, Gary David Goldberg, who created the uh, the show Family Ties, you know, it's more on the on the family side. Like the episode I watched last night is Elisa's Aunt Rose comes in. Well, it turns out Aunt Rose is getting Alzheimer's, and she she comes in and she's she basically says, "I don't know how I got here," mm-hmm. and um, but it handled it with such dignity. You know, it's, she wasn't, she wasn't, uh, uh, the way her character is, is addressing it, but the show itself is you have all these, all these different people on the show and they have something different to offer. Obviously the parents, uh, one of the, one of the hallmarks to the beginning of the show is that they were former hippie protesters, but then they have these kids and I think the the synopsis that Brandon Tartikoff was given when the show was pitched to him by by Goldberg was it was hippie parents preppy kids. I think that was like the okay. real short, sweet uh, description of what the show was going to be. And one of the great TV characters of all time, which is Michael J. Fox, mm-hmm. is Alex Keaton. Alex P. Keaton. Um, but it's you know it's funny that these all these characters. Even though people don't necessarily agree, but and I think that's something that that we as Gen Xers know probably better than anybody is finding that common ground, and they they accept each other even though they're different, and and it's like think about some of the people that come walking through the door like Skippy Handelman, okay? <laughs> there there are a few characters that have ever been better than Skippy, <laughs> but it, it's just uh, you know Mallory she's totally obsessed with clothes and shopping. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's just funny that they have, they all have like these different, you know, peculiarities about them, but at the end of the day, they're a family and they accept each other. So you have these hippie parents, you know, Stephen and Elise, and their worst nightmare happened where they had this staunch conservative son, Alex Keaton, who, you know, loves economists like Milton Friedman and he loves Reagan and you know what I always love the where they had the um, the little brother that came on the show Andy. later Andy yeah. and he's like as a, as a baby Alex pulls out this picture of Reagan and he's like here he is here's the guy I've been telling you about and, and it's like but as the hippie parents they could not have been more upset and then you know Jennifer who is kind of like this unfortunately she's kind of a jock when the show starts yeah she's a little tomboy yeah and but I think they they do a nice job of showing that she's kind of struggling with getting to the next phase in her life, which is high school. Cause there's one episode where she, uh, she gets invited to go to the sophomore dance. She's a freshman and she can't go unless she's invited. So one of her friends, who's this nerdy guy asks her to go and she accepts because she wants to go talk to another guy. Mm-hmm. Well, she ends up going is really bad to the kid that asked her to go and but it turns out the guy that she wanted to like her just was absolutely mean to her and so she's humiliated and it just kind of shows different things like that and 
Um, but it's but they're all true to character. Like the one scene where they're in uh, where Alex and kind of his academic rival are in the uh, teen or the hotline, the suicide hotline room, because they thought it was going to be an easy way to get like a credit, for, something to go on the resume for college. Right. It turns out they actually get this call, and so they're they're trying to talk this guy out of out of not killing himself, and at the so it's a serious topic, you know, it's talking about suicide, but towards the end where the, the, the guy on the phone goes, yeah, I know every cloud has a silver lining. And then all of a sudden Alex just goes, well, silver's down right now. Zinc is the way to go. And it, you know, it's just, it was just a way to kind of break, break the, uh, you know, the tension and, and insert some humor. But this, this show surprisingly only went to 1989. Um, but I, I think, had it not been for Michael J. Fox's movie career going gangbusters, the show could it still had more years in it had it decided to continue on. But he stayed loyal to the show. He did. Which was which was amazing because most actors would have left when he hit it big with Back to the Future, which was like 1985-ish, 1985-86. He was the hottest thing out there. Yeah. But he stays on the show to the end. He did. You know, credit the entire cast for sticking together. And uh, just such a well-written show. I, I think it, the jokes are still relevant today, in my opinion, even though there are different, you know, different topics going on in the world, whatever. The jokes are still funny. And it's, that's, it's hard to find a, a sitcom that doesn't have some, you know, a, where it's dated. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like where the humor is dated. You can watch a show and see that the clothing is a little dated or whatever, where it says, yeah, 1985, 1987. But when, when the jokes still make you laugh, that, that, that shows you got something there. And I suggest every one of you out there listening, go back and watch the episode, I think it's season one, with Mr. Tedesco, which is one of my favorite episodes of any show ever, when Ruben Tedesco is Alex's teacher, and Alex so much wants him to write this letter of recommendation for college. And Mr. <laughs> Tedesco is nothing but insulting to everyone. And then this pacifist, Stephen, eventually punches him. So, Well, Elise punches him Oh, first. that's right. Elise punches him, yeah. Yeah, she right. punches him at the parent-teacher conference. <laughs> right. And then, and then Stephen. And then he comes over. And and like, yeah, I remember yeah. as soon as he walks in the door of the kitchen and Elise comes in the room, he like backs up like he's like he's afraid she's going well, to didn't Stephen like hit her, like uh, hit him right after uh, Mr. Tedesco is like, ah, you're where? She's an Amazon. <laughs> yes. That's right. My name is Ruben Tedesco. Your children call me Mr. Tedesco. I suggest you do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, was always surprised they didn't keep that character on there. Uh, it, but, yeah. you know, leave when you're on top. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was great. No, so, that's the, a great, great show. Family Ties, 1982 to 1989. Seven seasons of great, great television. So the next show that we're going to talk about also came out in 1982. And this ran one season longer which really surprised me in the grand scheme of things. But this is a guy who had a, had a sitcom previously, and he comes back with a very successful uh, reboot of a kind of the same guy, but a different setting and a different character. And that would be Bob Newhart. This time his show is called Newhart. Really a stretch there for, for Bob. Yeah, really. Had a hard time coming up with the title. But unlike... The, the Bob Newhart show from the 70s, which I did not really watch a lot. I watched this show. Yeah, we, we really liked this show because 
this had Peter Scolari on it. Remember? Yeah. He was uh, from Bosom Buddies. We uh, we watched that because he was one of the main characters on the show. He was Michael. And it was, uh, the setting was this inn. They bought a, uh, he bought an inn with his wife. Mm-hmm. Up in, in Vermont. Vermont. Yeah. And there were some uh, some unusually interesting characters from Vermont. We've been to Vermont. We have listeners in Vermont. I, I don't think we have uh, listeners who have family members with the same name. Hi, I'm Larry. This, this is my brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was one of the great catchphrases of the show. But a, another good ensemble cast. And it not only was, was Bob Newhart a veteran TV actor, but I think he brought a couple of characters, a couple of actors over from the Bob Newhart show onto this, and they just played something different. So could be, could be, uh, you know, I always, you know, I, I like the George character, you know, who was the handyman. He, he was you know, great for comic comedic relief. And I, I really liked the, um, Michael, Peter Sklari's character mm-hmm. and his girlfriend, Stephanie. Yeah. Cause she was very uh, materialistic. <laughs> she was <laughs> extremely materialistic and yet she was forced to be a maid. Yes. <laughs> and she always complained about yeah, it too. Right. Yeah. But that was uh, that was Newhart ran from 1982 to 1990 for eight seasons. So I'm going to bring up uh, some shows here that weren't necessarily uh, two shows. One had a, had a pretty long run because it got canceled by the network, got picked up by syndication. But the first one, very popular for its first season, and that was Webster Emmanuel mm-hmm. Lewis. Sure, uh, you know it was about a a, a young boy whose parents uh, passed away. His dad was a former NFL football player, played by Alice Karras. Well, he is—he was best friends. With oh, but Alice, Alice Karras was the the guy on the show, yes. right? So he ends up going to live with uh, Alex and his brand new wife that they had only known each other for a week, and they got married. Now, all of a sudden, not only is this woman married, but now she has a child that she has to help raise as well, and she's this career woman. So it's uh, you know Webster is this cute little kid. And it's about his uh, being a cute little kid, and it was, you know, very popular in the ratings for, for two or three seasons. It ended up going six seasons to 1987, but it ran from 1983 to 1987. Show that kind of ran its course. You know, it, you can only play the cute kid so many times, and I and I think unfortunately, he was a byproduct of the success of Gary Coleman mm-hmm, and different for sure. strokes. Yeah. So they were looking to get another cute kid to get into, you know, wacky kid hijinks. And, uh, you know, I think the the viewers, if you keep doing it, the viewers are going to basically tune you out at some point. Right. It, I watched it early on. And so I was probably typical where the early season or two, I, I was familiar with it. But then I think maybe after two seasons, I kind of checked out. Yeah. Uh, the other show, which ran from 1984 to 1990 and this was a vehicle for we mentioned him in happy days and that was scott Bayo, who had a little bit of success but that kind of flamed out with Joni los chachi he ended up going back to happy days now he gets his own show happy days is done uh a year later he gets his own show called charles in charge mm-hmm. and that aired on cbs and then got canceled and then got picked up by syndication so it was one of those one of those probably one of the more popular shows in syndication of its time and ended up going to 1990. I don't know about you, but I only watched it when it went to syndication. Yeah, I don't remember it on the network. No, I don't. It, I 
I always really liked Willie Ames's buddy. He was <laughs> he's the dim-witted buddy, friend that always kind of show up, and um, they kind of a you know big name chaos there when you when you think that you had you know Scott Baio and you had Williams, and then you had a very young Nicole Eggert on mm-hmm. the show. Yeah, yeah, Willie Ames who was who was on Eight is Enough, um, and then Nicole Eggert who goes on to Baywatch. Sure. So yeah, uh, Charles in Charge, <clears throat> excuse me, ran for. For uh, five seasons, and ended up going from '84 to 1990. One one of my a show that I really did tune in, and it it was one of those charming shows. And you had mentioned one of the actresses that uh, was in a previous show, Soap. But who's the boss with Tony Danza? So Taxi comes to an end, and of all the people, who's the first guy to get a television show? It was Tony Danza? It was Tony Danza? Which was a surprise. But it ended up being very successful, and they 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 played it well. Tony Tony uh, played a former baseball player. His wife passes away. He's got a young daughter, very cute young daughter, uh, named Melissa Milano, and so he ends up moving up to Connecticut and work as a housekeeper for this uh, successful businesswoman who's played by Judith Light, and uh, Angela Bauer was her, is her name correct. So, uh, you know, as the show develops, they ended up going getting into a relationship with each other. But this was one of the few shows, Sean, that got to walk out on its own terms. They actually ended the show before it was canceled. It, it was an interesting show in that you really saw the development of the Tony Danza character. Mm-hmm. Because he comes on and he's kind of a, a meathead at the beginning. You know, he's this jock and... Yeah, kind of goofy and clowning around, and he's that you know he's the housekeeper. He's always cracking jokes. He's not taking things seriously. He's got the young daughter that's there, and and then by the end of the show, when he he ends up you know when they get ma- married, and he becomes really serious. He goes back to school again. I think he was college, and then he becomes a teacher. Becomes a teacher, yeah, right. Which he ends up doing in real life, which is funny. In real life, Tony Danz became a teacher. Is yeah, it, is it like an he, acting teacher, he, no, or he taught, like, in, he taught in Philadelphia public schools. Like after his acting career, they did a documentary about. Like it. he's one now. I don't think he still does it. I think he did it for one year. Okay, but he got his teaching certificate in Pennsylvania and taught. So in that public he was school. inspired from the show. You know, he. Uh, you know, if, you know. It was either that or the movie that he made about the. Uh, the gar- the garage or the garbage truck driving Barney field, yeah Barney the field goal kicking uh, <laughs> yeah, garbage yeah. guy yeah where Jeff Laurie the owner of the Eagles appears in it wearing like a jean jacket and like he's one of the regular guys That's right yeah anytime Jeff Laurie's ever put a jean jacket on well who's the boss ended up going for eight seasons eighty four to ninety two and Alyssa successful and Alyssa Milano become is a big star but, yeah. you know, out of that. I mean, I'm she a big star, but I mean, she's a name that comes out of it and she, goes on and has a career. But, you know, the fact that she comes on and, and really kind of becomes somebody that they can write stories around. You know, there was also Jonathan Bauer, who's Angela's son. Right. Um, <clears throat> but Alyssa Milano was, was somebody that, that had the, her own fan base um, besides the adults on the show. So they were able to write, you know, storylines and, and kind of continue the show on. But they did evolve the show to a point where they, like I said, they're one of the few shows on this list that walked out on their own terms. And as I had said when we talked about Soap, Catherine um, Hellman 
who was on soap is now the mother. Yes. So she goes from soap where she's a little bit younger. And I mean, she's, she's the mother of a young family. And now she's the Angela's mother. She's a grandmother. So she's a grandmother. Yeah. And so it's just kind of interesting how some actors and actresses are able to have the, these a long career where they can kind of morph into these different roles. So we're in, we're right now we're in 1984, and NBC is just really cranking out the shows at this point. Of another show that came out on NBC that had a really, it, it, again, it was kind of that meteor, but it ended up being on for four seasons. And that's Punky Brewster. Mm-hmm. Punky Brewster was immensely popular when it first came out. I mean, at least for kids. Yeah, I don't think it was a big ratings show, but I know it was a show that we that kids in that i went to school with talked about because again here's a character that's very close to the same age as to me and my friends that are watching it on on tv every week so punky brewster plays this this kid that was living on her own she has a she has a dog and she gets taken in um by this guy who also was in the movie police academy right that's what i remember most about it right so it's henry henry and I, but I think the thing that kind of made her stand out so much is her clothing style. She has like the mismatched uh, Chuck Taylors, different colored. And, you know, it was it was pretty popular for a minute, you know. Uh, but Punky Brewster was a show that for about two seasons was, was extremely, you know, was one of NBC's kind of their signature shows that they were really pushing. And then, again, the the, the show didn't, Kind of got bounced around a little bit, ended up getting moved to syndication, which is where it finished out. But Punky Brewster ended up going on for four seasons. But it, it, I was amazed when I saw how long that was on because I I remember the first season there was because it was 1984. There was a, a whole episode about getting tickets to go see the Chicago Cubs play like a playoff game, and the Cubs were in the playoff that year. And um, I, but that was kind of it, and you know, kind of disappeared off of my radar. So 1984 and NBC. You know, where I, where I said about how NBC kind of laid the groundwork for two shows in 1982, that being Cheers and Family Ties, arguably their two best shows ever. But they needed support, and they found it in Tuesday night. And there was a Tuesday night lineup that was about to be created, which became the powerhouse lineup in television. You could argue and say, maybe television history? It's pretty close. But we'll start with the first one. This was Tuesday nights at 9.30. And this is Night Court with Harry Anderson. This was, uh, you know, Harry Anderson ap- appeared many times on the show Cheers, and then he ends up getting his own show as a judge, um, and it was really, really popular. It, it That Thursday, or was it that Tuesday night lineup on NBC from 8 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night was ruled by this network, They and it started with shows like Cheers and Family Ties. And now all of a sudden they, they finally got some compliments in there and then all the shows started to really take off. Yeah, it, it really started that whole must see TV where they would 
they, they would dominate a night. And that, that's a show that obviously is so popular because as we're talking now in January of 2024, there's kind of a reboot of the show. Mm-hmm. And it's like the next generation. It's I've never I haven't watched it, but I, I I'm fairly certain it the the it's supposed to be Harry's daughter. Yes. Who's now the judge kind yes. of taking his place. And, you know, of course the famous Dan Fielding played by John Larroquette is back on the show as well. Yeah. And he was the bridge from the old show to the new show, but I have watched the show a few times. I haven't watched every episode, but I've seen three. Okay. And it does bring the same kind of sensibility to it, which is that kind of off, off the, off the wall humor. Well, they had some wacky characters. They you, did. You had Bull. Bull, Will Shannon, yep, yeah. they had Roz. Yeah. And it was, again, a very strong cast. And for a show like that to succeed and to have life over multiple multiple seasons on TV, you, ha- you have to have that. You can't rely on one person but, to carry a show. But, and, and as oftentimes is the case, you, when you have a really good cast, I think it helps. Yeah. So you, I always liked the contrast between Dan Felding, um, John Larroquette and Marky Post character, which was Christine Sullivan. Yeah, you know, Christine was kind of this uptight, prim and proper attorney, and Dan Fielding was a sleazeball. Well, it took him it took him a few tries to get Marky Post because yeah. there were a, a couple of female prosecutors that were before them, before her, and it didn't. You know, it, it wasn't the right. fit. It didn't work. Right. Yeah, it wasn't the right fit. And even when when Bull had remember Selma, mm-hmm. remember she I was do. on the original yes. original part of the show. She died, and they had to replace her with Roz. So that for for them to successfully make that transition, like you said, with with Coach and Woody mm-hmm. uh, on Cheers, it's not easy to do, and they were able to do it effectively and successfully. And so, and then you'd have these outrageous characters, and then you'd have some like Mac, who is the voice of reason. Yes. You know, the former Vietnam vet and just kind of cool and calm and settled everybody down. Yeah. Yep. So that was Night Court, which ran from 1984 to 1992, nine seasons, which actually is one season longer than the show that was, you know, we talk about groundbreaking, uh, groundbreaking shows of the 1970s. I think this was a groundbreaking show of the 1980s and it's kind of forgotten. I think it was forgotten in the wrong way. Of course, this is the Cosby show. Yes. When the Cosby show came out, there, you know, there are moments where you remember first episodes of something like TV. Like we talked about Bosom Buddies in the first episode. I remember watching the first episode of the Cosby Show. Sure. And I remember, I, I don't, I can't remember laughing that hard um, at any of the other episodes of of TV shows that I was watching at that time. You had Bill Cosby's comedy tape, and so much of that pilot episode was his stand-up material was from that tape it, he, he just acted it out it, you know he would tell the stories on, on the tape about his family his kids and on the show we see it visualized for us mm-hmm. so you and i kind of knew the jokes but they were it was even funnier to watch it with those kids yeah 
And, you know, it's, it's a shame that, you know, what has come down later on with Bill Cosby, uh, you know, and all everything that happened with him behind the scenes and how terrible it was, has kind of put a stain on this show because it was the number one show of the 80s, at least as far as sitcoms go. It, 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 it dominated. It, in terms of ratings, they are, this was back when TV or newspapers used to, to like, print the, the ratings and what the top 10, top 20 shows were on TV. I mean, they were number one by so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, it wasn't even close that this was the number one show in America for years. And what I, what I found interesting about, do you, I don't know if you remember the, much about the pilot episode. I remember it fairly well. Okay. The house that eventually became the Huxtable's house. Okay was not the, the one that was filmed in the pilot. I see, I couldn't have said because that. Because they didn't know if the show was going to get picked up, so they borrowed the set from Gimme a Break. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is that right? That's the truth, yeah. They, they, they okay. actually borrowed the set from Gimme a Break, filmed the pilot, and then it was so well-received that they built this. It was pretty nice set. I mean, the, the parents are a lawyer and a doctor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but... Even though they are they are people uh, and they lived in Brooklyn, they were a, a family of means. They uh, they still portray themselves as parents, you know, involved parents. You know, the kids were respectful. You know, it was just it was a great family show. It was one of those shows that we all kind of gathered around. I remember we would do we used to do that for Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. And we kind of got back to it with, with the Cosby Show and Family Ties. So this was a show that in high school, I remember we would discuss what had happened the night before. Yeah. And there, there was very, very few people that had not watched it. And you would identify with these characters. Theo. So Theo's like my age. I mean, it's, so I'm, I'm you know, totally, uh, you know, you know, relating to what's going on with Theo. And I remember young Adam Sandler was one of his best friends. That's on the right. Show. Yeah, that's right. And uh, what was the what was his buddy's name? The uh, the the guy uh, Theo's main friend, cockroach, cockroach. Yeah, yeah, so cockroach. And you know they would call girls uh, burgers, and, burgers. Yeah, yeah and, and then they they wanted to be on a music video, and they shaved their heads, and everyone thought that was hilarious. And but you would have you know Vanessa and Denise and and uh, Sandra and Rudy. Really? Uh, you know, so the the kids were a huge part of that show. And then of course you know with Claire. Um, you know, as the the mother, you know, she's she's this very super successful attorney, and Heathcliff is the successful doctor who's kind of running his his practice out of the basement, right? Mm-hmm. He's in the house there, and he's this lovable, you know, father figure that uh, you, for the, really the first time you're seeing this upwardly mobile uh, black family that is leading out this upper middle class life. Yeah, but. I think as with a lot of shows, and particularly with the Cosby show, when you're watching it, they were just a family. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they were dealing with the same, some of the same issues. The kids were dealing with some of the same issues that we were, which happens in real life. And I, I just thought, you know, looking back on it, I thought how cool it was that, you know, it was just, it wasn't. It, there wasn't any any racial you know watching it for for racial reasons it was yeah they were you know they were just they were funny you know they, they were relatable mm-hmm. and it was it was stuff that we watched you know every week we didn't miss a single episode well they did a great job of that of not 
making race ever an issue. You know, and a lot of times you, when they would bring friends and family in, a lot of times the you know the friends it was it was a mixture. Sure, it was the it was friends of all all religions, all creeds. It was it was it was groundbreaking. I thought it was it it was just so super popular. It so if if I had to rank my top three sitcoms of the nineteen eighties, Cosby, you know, Family Ties is, is probably number one. Cosby Show is number two, and Cheers is three. Okay, I mean that and and. Coincidentally, they're all NBC. Yeah. So let's go to uh, ABC for our next one. 1985, one of my personal favorites. Not one of my, like, on the top five, but I watch the show every week, and that was Mr. Belvedere. So Bob Euchre, <laughs> who... Mr. Baseball? Was, was just known for being one of... Johnny Carson loved Bob Euchre. Bob Euchre used to go on The Tonight Show and just tear it up. Not by being scripted funny, but just by being himself. Well, Bob was a former baseball player who was an announcer, and he was primarily with the Milwaukee Brewers, Mm -hmm. but then he would also do a game of the week. He would do a game of the week, but he was was known for these really funny beer commercials. The Miller Lite commercials? Where where he would say, uh, and probably the best one was when he's bragging about how, uh, I'm I'm a famous baseball player, needed a couple seats, called him up, got two tickets. So he, he sits down on the, he goes, hey, I must be in the front row. And uh, so he goes down and sits down and it turns out he had the wrong seats. So they kick him out. And the next scene is him sitting in the very far corner of the, of the uh, stadium. And he goes, he missed the tag. Is he's screaming down at the right. umpire. Uh, you know, but he, he ends up getting his own TV show. And for me, it worked. I enjoyed the show. It was kind so of what was the premise? It, it was it, he was probably. I think he was a sportscaster, he right? Was a sportscaster was set in Pittsburgh, PA. So why is Mr. Belvedere even there? Mr. Belvedere is there to help the wife because she's going to law school. Okay. So she's can't handle the family of three, particularly their youngest child, Wesley. Um, That's right. He was the handful. He right? was the handful, and uh, so she needed somebody to help around the house so she could you know, go to college. And that's what the uh, premise of the show. So they had the older brother, Kevin. And what was the daughter's name? Uh, But then the youngest was Wesley. And so a lot of, a lot of the hijinks on the show were about uh, Mr. Belvedere trying to keep uh, Wesley in check. All right. So the, the daughter's name was Heather. That's right. Heather played by that Tracy Wells. Okay. So uh, you know that it was a show I watched every week. That was on Friday nights. It was, and uh, so that ran from 1985 to 1996 seasons. A show that I was aware of, I, I would have caught a little bit here or there, only because you probably had it on. Uh, okay, but I don't really remember sitting down and watching too many episodes. Okay, but you know, you know, it was entertaining. So the next one I'm going to bring out. Uh, uh, you may not have ever seen this, but I, I bring it up because of the premise of the show itself and the fact that I think it was its entire run, which is the only show on here, its entire run was in syndication. That's the show Small Wonder. Do you remember that show? It's, I have it on the list. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Really odd premise. Dad's an inventor. He invents a child, yeah. robotic child, Vicky, and... Uh, so it's her living with the family. And, you know, she was so lifelike. It, it was like, it, how did anyone, I mean, it's, it's obvious why no one knew that she was a robot. You know, just the way she moved and talked. 
you know, of course, I'm being very sarcastic now, but she kind of talked like this. That's right. She did. And nobody suspected that she wasn't a real child. And wore the same outfit every single episode. Right. Um, but yeah, Small Wonder actually, surprisingly, was on for four seasons. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what I remember most about, about the show was the little the, the kid who played her quote-unquote brother. And he kind of reminded me of... Um, you know, the, the, the kid from the movie uh, 16 Candles, the brother, Mike. Okay. Or, or he's, you know, yeah. he's, he's kinda, he kind of looks like that. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a show that, I, like I said, I'm amazed it lasted four seasons, but it did. It was it was in syndication. I Well, I could tell you kind of what the Vicky the Robot sounded like. I, <laughs> I, I don't ever remember watching a full episode. No, I... I, I I'm guilty of doing so. Well, so. Hey, you know, but it, it's, it, I think it's memorable. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's one of those shows that, you know, definitely was of the times. It was on for a while, so people obviously watched it. Well, some of our listeners out there, you know, I want to criticize the show if this, you have like fond memories of it. I, I think what happened is, you know, when this show hit, so it was on from 85 to 89, you say, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a late teenager in, in my early 20s. So, so for me, I've kind of moved on from this. I think if this, if I had been your age, or if I this show had come out in like the early '80s, I probably would have would have watched it okay. and would have liked it because like a show like, oh, I don't know. I mean, something silly like Bosom Buddies. I'm I'm probably not necessarily watching it when I'm 18, 19, 20. But you know, here with this, because I think it was geared more towards kids. Is probably why was, I, yeah. I you know really wasn't my thing. Right. The next show I'm gonna I'm going to play the theme song for is a show that Sean and I really really liked and show me that smile again. Show me that smile. Don't waste another minute on your crying. We're going to be the best is ready to begin. Oh, as long as we got each other. This is Growing Pains, which mm-hmm. was on ABC from 1985 to 1992. And really the breakout character, the, the, the show is a vehicle set up for Alan Thick as the father, Jason Seaver. Um, but this was Kirk Cameron's show as he kind of took over as the heartthrob, the, the teen idol, so to speak. Um, but still a great cast and a well-written show that I, one of the few shows that was able to walk out on its own terms. If, if When I was, you know, dur- during the 80s when I'm a teenager, I either wanted to be Alex P. Keaton or Mike Seaver. Mm-hmm. If, if I could have, like, picked who I wanted to, like, pattern myself after, it was going to be one of those two guys. Did you ever write Appomattox Courthouse on your sneakers? No, I did you not. Remember that episode? I, I do not. Okay, he, uh, he got accused of cheating, and he was going to cheat on his history test. So he ended up writing the he wrote the answers on his sneakers, and it turns out that through like writing the answers down, he, he learned, actually learned material. Yeah. So the teachers accused him of cheating, and because um, Ben looked down and he goes, "Who's Appomattox Courthouse?" <laughs> and and Mike goes, oh, "That's a kid on the basketball team." And but anyway, he ends up taking the the. He had to take off his uh, down those boxer shorts to take his history test. 
so they, they know that he doesn't uh, does, isn't cheating. Because uh, Mr. Dewitt, remember the principal, Mr. Yeah. Dewitt, yeah, he was uh, he accused Mike of cheating. So you know, another another situation where you have uh, a cast of kids that when you're when you're putting a show together, you don't necessarily know if they're going to click. But I I liked the three kids as siblings. You know, I, yeah. I liked Ben a lot. I liked you know Carol was very believable as that type a personality overachiever who was the opposite of mike who was a slacker and popular yeah uh and usually you know in a lot of families it's reversed you know usually it's the the oldest is the high achiever well yeah in in the birth order if you ever read things about the birth order that's generally how it works right yeah Yeah, so i don't know why they decided to reverse it yeah but but they did here's an interesting fact and, and i just found this out not too long ago do you remember them ever talking about their neighbors, the Koosmans? Yeah. Remember the Koosmans? So that the Koosmans, although we never met them, were named after, because he was Dr. Jason Seaver, mm-hmm. the neighbors were the Koosmans. The writers were New York Mets baseball fans, and that was for Tom Seaver and Jerry Koosman. And Jerry Koosman. Okay. So that was uh, just a little interesting tidbit to that show. But, but if we're going to talk about characters... You got to talk about Boner, <laughs> right? Uh, one, one of the best, Richard, uh, you know, Boner. With Mil, was it Milhouse Boner? Richard Milhouse DeBone. DeBone, yeah. yeah. I mean, Boner was just, he was such, it was Mike's sidekick. Well, remember Eddie? Eddie was the other friend. Eddie was the other friend. And yeah. was Ben's friend Stinky? Yes. Yeah. Ben's friend was Stinky. Yeah. And they blew their wad on coffee and pie. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, as we, as we said, they, the, the kids evolved, and I think for Growing Pains, they did what many, many sitcoms and family shows tried to do is they added a baby to the, the family. And I'm not quite sure because they did it on Family Ties. Mm-hmm. They did it on Too Close for Comfort. They did it on Growing Pains. It's where they, they introduce a, you know, a young infant to the show, and it, it seems to be a formula that, they, that networks go back time and time again i think the show kind of lost some of its i don't know bite it's it's humor when they start writing in the you know the baby humor and then when chrissy who's the youngest child right you know they they go from she goes from infant to toddler to five or six year old they start writing stuff for her and it's just that, that was when the show started to kind of decline i think also when they went and added a very young leonardo dicaprio Yes. To the show, nothing against Leonardo DiCaprio. I think he's a great actor, but it it you know that they were reaching at that point to try to to have new characters come in and add to the mix, and it just wasn't the same. Right. But they they left on like I said they they made their own final episode, and they were able to leave uh, on their own after I think it was seven seasons. So, but still for the first. Three or four seasons that that was really really oh, yeah. wonderful wonderful television television gold so that was growing pains next sitcom that came out in 1985 very popular again for NBC and it was groundbreaking in many ways is because of who the cast was and how unusual it was and that was the Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the fact that you brought in these really as well-established actresses and how incredibly cohesive they were as an ensemble cast. You had B. 
B. Arthur, Rue McClanahan, Betty White, and oh, what was Sophia's name? Estelle Getty. Estelle Getty. And they're you want to talk about you know good comedians, male or female, their timing on that show. It's it's funny because I was a teenage kid, but I could watch the Golden Girls. I got the jokes. I got the humor. And, you know, it's not something that I was, you know, I wouldn't be embarrassed to say I was watching women who on, on a TV sitcom are in their, I think when they cast the show, they were in their 50s. Um, but I, I got the jokes, you know. I, I thought it was funny. I, I, it was well-written. It was smart humor, uh, especially Estelle Getty. She was great. Uh, she was she was a great uh, great comedian, and well, I mean they were fairly young because you know Blanche was out there always trying to pick up guys. Well, she always yeah she wasn't trying she was <laughs> yeah right you know she was you know she still had had some gas left in the tank and you know so it's not like they had a show where the people are in their nineties yeah you know it's so there there was a lot to write about they just were at a different stage in their their lives and yeah you know. That's some a show where I would watch from time to time, um, so I was certainly aware of it. And I later on in syndication is when I started to watch it. Yeah, I watched them. I watched it more regularly at once it hit reruns. But I remember our parents watched it. Our, our you know, mom and dad okay. would watch it occasionally. See, I probably wasn't around a you, lot. You you had your driver's license. I did. <laughs> yeah, right. So here and and so what the show was on from eighty five to ninety two. I, it was a little old for me. Then you contrast it with Small Wonder, which was one from 85 to 89, which was a little young for me. Right. So once again, it's for those of our, our listeners, depending on when the timeline hits you at your age, it's going to have a different you know feel for you. Where later on when I go back and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s or 40s and I see this show, I'm like, oh, this is a great show. Mm-hmm. And so, but... Yes, when I had my driver's license and, and I'm 17 years old, I, I probably wasn't watching a lot, but, but I was aware of it. So I'm going to play the theme song to the next show, the next sitcom. And it was on for four seasons from 1986 to 1990. See if you can guess what this show is. So, is this a show that you were really into? Kinda. Yeah. And and uh, so, I have a list over here where I have dates. Yeah. So, this, the, there's one show that kind of matches up with those dates. Mm-hmm. That would be Alf. That would be Alf. Yeah. Ha! Yeah. <laughs> I kill me! That was... Uh, Alf is making a little bit of a comeback these days. Really? He's been on some commercials. Um, Alien Life Form. A-L-F. What, what, what commercials is he on? Uh, he was on an, I think he was on an insurance commercial. Okay, really? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Alf is this alien that came um, down to Earth, and he's being hidden by this family. Uh, Willie yeah. is the dad. Hey, Willie! <laughs> and Alf is constantly. Uh, what What I always thought was funny about it was the fact that you know in the beginning, he was just you know his al- you know his body you know his hair. And then they put a Hawaiian shirt on him. It's like, <laughs> he's a party guy. Yeah, he's a party guy. <laughs> he's like Spuds McKenzie, right? Yeah. Um, but Alf was a show that kind of silly, stupid humor. But it, like you said, the timing is important for shows like this. Sure. And it kind of hit right for me. And 
I kind of like the idea of the kind of the absurdity of a show like Alf, and I think I actually had an Alf poster in my. I, I remember you had something like I that. I wanted at the fair. I had mentioned mm-hmm. about the New Holland Fair, but pretty sure I won that poster at the fair. So it was, uh, so yeah, it was hanging in my bedroom. But I was and, a that, bit, I liked and, the show. and didn't Alf like to eat cats? Wasn't that? Well, he was always constantly trying to get the cat. Right. And he he would say things. Uh, they play this on Sirius XM. He's like, he's like, uh, where's the frying pan? And like, what do you need the frying pan for? He goes, because the cat won't fit in the toaster oven. Ba-dum-bum-psh. Yeah, so yeah. it's just kind of a bunch of one-liners. And <laughs> uh, but Alf was on for four seasons. Al- Alf was a big hit. I mean, which was amazing. I mean, it wasn't a a puppet because I think there was somebody inside the costume. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, uh, but th- it was you know this this character that you know outrageous character that definitely screamed mid eighties. Yeah. Yep, so that was ALF, another NBC sitcom. 1986 had two more shows on my list, and that would be a show I watched a lot and a show I didn't watch really at all, and that would be Perfect Strangers on ABC from 1986 to 1993. And the other one is Designing Women. It was on CBS, and that ran from 86 to 93. It was really really popular when you would look at the ratings but i did not watch an episode i it was not my humor but i'm not there i'm sure there are listeners to this gen x podcast that were big fans of the show i actually watched that show on occasion and i i i mean i didn't watch perfect strangers a ton after the first year or two okay and uh, but I, I knew you watched it. I did. So Malky Bartakamus. Once again, I'd walk into the room, and you know, you would be watching it. But I and I may stop stop and watch some of it, but I, I didn't really sit down and watch that show much after the first season. But for whatever reason, I don't know what night Designing Women was on, but I would occasionally tune in as I'm just like scanning through the dial. I'm going to say it was on like a Friday night, uh, and also, you know, 1986. I'm. A year away from getting my driver's license so i get my driver's license in 87 so as our mom says once i got my driver's license it was like bang zoom i was out the door and hanging out with my friends and that's kind of how i would have been like during this time is like I, I i would have walked through the way our house was set up is you walked kind of through what we called our like tv room mm-hmm. to go outside so that's where the door was at so i might you know, walk by and glance over at the TV while something's on as I was on my way out to get in the car to go somewhere. Hey, meathead, what are you watching? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, I knew it enough where I knew Annie Potts was. Okay. So that when um, she appeared in the movie Pretty in Pink, I knew who she was. Well, yeah, she was in Ghostbusters as well. Right. And when the, you remember the guy, the character Anthony, who was uh, Meshach Taylor? He was in the movie Mannequin. Yes, I remember so, that. So, like I said, I knew the show enough where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the guy. I didn't know his name, but I'm like, that's the guy from Designing Women. And Dixie, Dixie Carter was... She was the mom, she was mom from on, Different Strokes. Different Strokes. Right, and she was on that before. The one and that they, Mr. Drummond married. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And that's, right, that was the connection. Yeah, so uh, it was a really popular show and, and was on for until 1993, but the next one is probably you know might be one of the if if you're talking about some of the most beloved sitcoms of gen x this one i i don't know of anybody that has a bad things to say about it but 
And this is the show Full House. Oh yeah. And like I said, it, it it's funny because it was corny, but so endearing. Like the I, the cast was so likable. You know, this was a vehicle for John Stamos, who had a couple of failed attempts at sitcoms in the past. I remember he was in a sitcom with Jack Klugman. Do you remember that? Nope. He was in a in a sitcom where he. Jack Do you remember Klugman, what it was called? I wish I could, but he was in a sitcom. Jack Klugman played his dad, and it was not funny. I don't remember John Stamos at all until he became Uncle Jesse. But as Uncle Jesse and and Bob. Bob Saget, Saget yeah. and Dave Coulier. Um, Danny Tanner. It, you know, it was... Danny Tanner and Joey, Joey Gladstone. What surprised me, Sean, is the fact that I, for the life of me, could not remember that this show aired for the first time in 87. Yeah, that surprised I me when I looked at it. I think much later than that. Yeah, I, I always thought of this as a 90s show. Yeah, me too. Or at maybe 89-ish, kind of in that where it crosses over a little bit. But, you know, this is, it's one of the all-timers as far as for the Gen X era. And while I talked about those other shows where it, it didn't really hit me age-wise, it might have been too young, too old, even though this was a show that was beloved by little kids, mm-hmm. I liked the show. And I saw pretty much all the episodes. It, it, had, it had something for everyone, I think, because, um, yeah, like you said, it, it, it really was geared towards the small, especially when, uh, you know, when the kids are really young. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, and the, the kids are, when DJ's a little kid, it, it's funny. And when she, because she was originally on Growing Pains as one of Ben's buddies, she played a real a tomboy, even though it's Kirk Cameron's real sister right. in, in real life. But she played, uh, she played an episode on Growing Pains where they go to some dance and, and she shows up at the house like, Dressed like a girl, because I guess she always wore like jeans and looked like a baseball player. Um, but then and she this threw Ben for a loop. It did, yeah. And, but it, but she goes on to the show in Full House, and you see her really grow up before your eyes. Mm-hmm. And all the kids, where um, in addition to the adults, this is one of those shows where the the cast grew, and and they were able to write many episodes based on all the different characters. Yeah, because you're really taking a chance when you cast these young kids. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if if they're going to become good actors or not. And part of, I think a lot of those shows disappear and we don't remember them. Mm-hmm. But And that's why we'll say, well, it was a great cast. It, but it was. And who could have predicted that, that the Olsen twins, as babies, would have become good actresses later on and in, that they would become kind of stars in their own right when they get cast as infants. Yeah. Yeah. But they were, there were so, there's so many, um, I guess, breakout different little characters from the show that, you know, Bob Saget ended up going on to America's Funniest Home Videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Coulier had his own TV show. John Stamos you know, was already popular. You know, he was in the, he was friends with the Beach Boys and was in the video Kokomo. Right. Um, but well, it, like with all these shows, I really like the side characters. For me, when they can d- develop a character like you know Boner and Growing Pains, um, Stinky, you know, as Ben's friends. But I, I really like DJ's friend Kenny Gibbler. Okay, and and I, I like the fact that uh, Uncle Jesse could not stand Kenny Gibbler. It's like his arch nemesis. <laughs> yeah. Well, she always seemed to say the wrong thing, to Uncle Jesse. <laughs> 
But anyway, so that was uh, Full House, 1987. I, I just have a hard time really grasping that because that, that just throws me for a loop. And 87 all the way through 95, 95, so it had a real nice run. Another show that was started in 1987 was a spinoff, and it took on it's a whole different life of its own because of the way it was originally developed. And... this is the show a different world which was originally supposed to be the spinoff showcase for lisa bonet from the cosby show as uh denise huxtable goes to college and it's hillman college which when you look when you think back on it that first episode is like it didn't do very well but it had a young marissa tomei mm-hmm. she's one of the roommates on that show and Anytime a show makes a drastic, drastic change, typically it's it's suicide in in uh, in many ways. But this actually caused the show to gain some popularity and have a pretty long life. Uh, end up going on for seven seasons. Well, they kind of transition from having the Denise character as as the focal point, and in many ways, Dwayne Wayne, who was kind of the the goofball. He's one of the main characters, and you also had uh, Whitley, Jasmine Guy. Jasmine Guy, yeah. Who you know kind of took over the show from what you know would supposed to be for Lisa Bonet, and it did kind of go in a different direction with those two as being like two of the main characters. Yeah, and you had mentioned um, Dwayne Wayne and Whitley when Lisa Bonet was there. It wasn't that Dwayne wasn't likable. He was very likable, but he was goofy. He he was, you know, I talk about the uh, the movie Pretty in Pink. He kind of was like a ducky character. He was kind of hanging around, had a crush on on Denise, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what his, his role. He was this goofy guy with these weird clothes and glasses and hanging around. So they they sexed him up. They made him look <laughs> handsome, right? And Whitley was not likable. She was the arch nemesis of. Denise, yeah, early on, so they had to make her likable. Well, she was really stuck up. She was, she was, as you, you're right. I mean, she was not a nice character. Yeah. So, uh, but it worked. You know, the show ended up going on for for a long time, and it was very successful. Uh, but that was kind of one of the the backbone sitcoms for NBC as they transitioned from the uh, late '80s into the early '90s. But this goes to show once again uh, what. My age at the time. So this is 1987 through 1993. And I'm roughly supposed to be the same age as the characters on the show. I, I watched the show. This was, this was a show that I watched the entire run. Yeah, so did I. Uh, this was one of Amy, one of our favorite shows to watch uh, when we got together. So um, 1987 <clears throat> closes with one other sitcom. And we played the theme song to start the, the this episode, and that would be Married with Children, one of the flagship shows for the Fox Network, which debuted in 1987. It was uh, shows like America's Most Wanted, Married with Children, 21 Jump Street. Uh, but Married with Children ended up having a really long run of 11 seasons, ran to 1997. And Al Bundy... 
and his cast of insults were uh, were prevalent throughout the whole run. And like you had said before, you know, a guy like like Ed O'Neill, it'd be so easy to forever be typecast as Al Bundy, mm-hmm. but credit him for becoming somebody completely different on a sh- on a you know show that was just as successful, if not more. Uh, later on in his career with modern family where he plays jay jay pritchett and it's similar character but but different enough where it's it's amazing where because you know the jay character is pretty iconic and that he it's rare that you're going to have an actor that has like two major roles like that but al bundy is is certainly somebody that's synonymous with gen x i mean uh, to me in my mind, in a lot of ways, it's a 90s show because mm-hmm. it had such a long run that I kind of forget that it was, you know, mid-80s when this thing came out. But uh, so many, so many great characters came off this. You know, <laughs> Kelly, uh, Bud. I think I think Bud cracked me up the most. Uh, you know, the uh, Marcy next door and, and Steve. And, and then um, what was uh, her husband's name the next time? The, uh, the pretty boy. Oh, um <clears throat> Jefferson. Jefferson, yeah. 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 Jefferson Darcy. So, uh, you know, it, it if you're going to be a successful show, you're going to have to deal with some character changes. And so, all right, they, they swap Jefferson out. And I like Jefferson more than Steve. Yeah. and But the show kind of remained true to itself, which a lot of people today would find offensive. Oh, absolutely. They, um, they, they, you couldn't make a show like that today. But the, but the humor behind it is... And I almost pulled the trigger on it the one time. Is uh, I almost bought a Polk High School number forty-four jersey. Okay. Because of the story when he scored four touchdowns in one game, and he, and he had to tell that story at the dance. Remember that? I Nobody do. Was paying yeah. attention to him. Yeah. Yeah, and he was and he was just plowed on. He kept telling the story. <laughs> that was at their high school reunion, right? Yeah. yeah so uh, uh, married with children. One of the uh, one of the all time shows of of the Gen X era, eleven seasons, eighty seven to ninety seven. Um, three shows to bring up in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, two were very memorable. One was on for a long time, but I don't know if people remember it or not. And we're going to go with the first one, Murphy Brown, and that was uh, that was a CBS sitcom, and that was. Uh, uh, very very popular early in its run it ended up going on for 11 years from 88 to 98 the other one is roseanne with roseanne Barr. that was abc that was on for 10 seasons from 88 to 97 so once again another show that i identify more with the 90s but yes you know in 88 uh, the and it was popular right away mm-hmm. and the third one that i wonder if you remembered is remember the show empty nest sure and that was uh, Bert from uh, Soap. Got it was, yeah. He played a uh, doctor who his daughters ended up moving back into the house, one of them being Christy McNichol, mm-hmm. uh, the other one being uh, Diane. She was in the movie Grease, and uh, they played the two sisters that moved back in with Dad. And, Dad, and there was a dog, a big dog involved. Right, because they, they were in Florida. And he was and, a vet, right? Uh, was he a vet or, or a pediatrician? He was, yeah, he was. He was. He was. I think he was a pediatrician. Yeah, but he was because his wife passed away. You know, he's a doctor. He's in demand. These women want to, and, <laughs> and the daughters are kind of getting in the way. But 
That was Richard Mulligan and Empty Nest from 1988 to 1995, a show I pretty much completely forgot about. Right. So, a uh, show that came out in 1989. I have a grand total of five, believe it or not. So let's go with the first. And this is one that I played, or, or that I played, that I watched an awful lot. Watch this one from beginning to end, one of my favorites. That would be that Craig T. Nelson and the show Coach, which ran from 1989 to 1997. And uh, Craig totally, totally forgot this was the 80s. Thought yeah. it was the 90s. Yeah, but it did. It got its start in the early part of uh, 1989. But Craig T. Nelson, who Sean had talked about before in one of his favorite sports movies, that being All the Right Moves, which came out in the early, uh, really part of the 80s or I thought he did a great job of being a football coach. Mm-hmm. Well, he ends up getting a sitcom as a football coach, and it ends up having a, a, a nine-year run on uh, ABC. And he plays a coach by the name of Hayden Fox, and he's the coach of the Minnesota State, I believe it was the Screaming Eagles. And uh, he had two assistant coaches. How a major college program could only have two <laughs> assistant coaches, I have no idea. Uh, Jerry Van Dyke played uh, played his buddy and the defensive coordinator, and Bill Fogerbaki played Dauber. I always thought Dauber was really funny, and and the other guy was Luther, right? Yes, Luther. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, Bill Fogerbaki, my um, Amy's stepmom, tells the story because back when she was a stage actress, she appeared in a play, and part of the cast was Bill Fogerbaki. Now, if you remember the show. Bill's a solid dude. He's big. He's probably about maybe 6'6 six, six in real life and and built kind of like a linebacker. And they were doing this one scene on stage where they had to run off. They're running through the audience, and they're kind of like intersecting with each other as they're running on and off the stage. So she's running off the stage. Bill Fogerbach, he's running on the stage, and they collide. Okay. Now, Bonnie is maybe five feet tall and basically bill steamrolled her i mean like later out and he felt so bad about it but that was my bill fogerbucky story um but yeah he was great as dauber on on the show where he kind of played the dim-witted special teams coach and uh, and you know what he does today no i don't he's the voice of patrick star from spongebob wait that's that's patrick yep, yep. oh yes it is that's awesome yeah but Coach was that was a show I, I enjoyed from day one, because I think in part because it had something to do with sports. I was you know we we're always big sports fans, but I thought it was funny, especially when his when his uh, rebellious daughter would come in, and they never seemed to be able to get along. Um, but as time goes on, he becomes more successful as a coach, and they get along with the daughter. So the show ends on, on you know with a happy ending and. Uh, but nine years as 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 show as on the show with Coach, and it was uh, very successful. Right. The other one started in 1989, but people probably don't think about this as an 80s sitcom, and that would be Seinfeld, which started in 1989, ran for nine seasons from 1989 to 1998. Sean and I we've we've already spoken at quite deep, you know, great length about 
about what a great show Seinfeld is. It's in our top 10 pretty much every time. And I would say pretty much, but it's in our top 10. And one of the great sitcoms ever. And that was on NBC for nine seasons. Okay. So I have a couple that, that are on my list that uh, you do not have them. Um, one is, I don't know if you ever watched this one. I watched it a couple times. It was the show Kate and Allie. Mm-hmm. Remember Kate and Allie? Yeah, I do. You know, kind of a situation. There's, there's two mothers by themselves raising daughters. And um, I, I would occasionally watch that one. Um, that ran from 1984 to 1989. The a bigger show that wasn't necessarily on in the evenings. Well, it wasn't because it was on Saturdays. Was Saved by the Bell. I was getting to that one. Oh, you're yeah. gonna have it in the '90s? Yeah. Well, no, I have it as '89. Oh, oh, I thought maybe you. you oh, I, I don't know. I thought you were done with that. Okay. No, so, no, that's fine. Um, no, but Saved by the Bell. I, I wasn't sure if people were gonna think about that because it wasn't one of your typical late night, uh, you know, evening sitcoms. This was Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, and it was kind of genius because it was totally geared for kids and. And teens, it was like preteens and teens, and and it was kids that were my age that were still in high school, even though when it debuted, I was out of high school. But it was, uh, you know, it was it was kind of cool. It was kind of hip, and you had you had some really good actors that ended up going on to going on some pretty good careers. Mark Paul Gosler, Tiff, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, Elizabeth Berkley, Mario Lopez. Um, Dustin Diamond, a screech, yeah. right? Uh, Mr. Belding. So there were uh, it. It was it kind of fit that format, Sean, of the uh, of the really strong ensemble cast and very likable. I mean, they the, even even the screech character who starts up pretty annoying by the end of the show. You, you know, you, you you like this group of kids that are out there. You know, I I think you you also want you should mention like like Lark Voorhees. You know who was Lisa? You know, once again, the just 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 one of those of the times. Mm-hmm. It it had to do a lot to do with fashion. You know, the, to me, that's like immediately when I think of this show, it's the visuals, it's it's the hairs, it's Slater's mullet that he had. <laughs> you know, it's the bright colors, it's you know the uh, the stylish stylish clothes that the girls wore. The the fact that uh, you know Zach was always like trying to. Outwit, uh, what was his name? Belding, Mr. Belding, uh, Mr. Belding. Yeah. You know, always play, you know at odds with him, and and you know always one upping him. It, you know, once again, it, it's a silly, harmless show that I think a lot of Gen Xers have good memories about. Sure, and it was, um, you know, you had mentioned about the the, the fashion, uh, and I think it, it was like, like you said, kind of good, clean, uh, and the the time slot was kind of brilliant. The the producer, the, the executive producer was a guy by the name of Peter Engel. And he ended up creating kind of several shows after Saved by the Bell that had a very similar formula. There was there was a show called The California Dreams, which was about a band of teenage kids. There was a basketball show that was uh, Anthony Anderson, who has gone on to many big, big things. Uh, I think that was his first show. Uh, Marcus Johnson, I think, was the coach of the of the high school team, and it was, uh, but it was a good formula and in the perfect format or for perfect time frame. 
because nobody else was really doing that programming for television at that point. It was like they kind of had the frontier to themselves on Saturday morning slash afternoons. Yeah, it, 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 I don't know that it had really been done before like that. I mean, you in the past, maybe in the you would have some of those shows like the H&R Puffin stuff and mm-hmm. things like that that we'd watch. The You would have the Bay City Rollers, and but nothing where it was like a, a show kind of like this that was made for a certain age uh, that would still be watching the Saturday shows. And I like the fact that they would kind of break that with third wall, that, that you know, Zach would kind of like address the audience. He talked to the camera. And it, it made people feel like they were part of it. Yeah, and and the writing wasn't wasn't slapstick goofball over the top. I mean, it there were there were jokes involved, and it was there were storylines where they you know they're not trying to solve you know uh, world problems, but they were they dealt with some heavy issues on the show from time to time. But for the most part, it was it was pretty harmless. Did you have any others? I did. Okay, so one uh, was on from 1987 to 1990, and that would be My Two Dads with Paul Reiser and Greg Evigan. I thought about that. Uh, Evigan was from BJ and the Bear. He was BJ from BJ and the Bear, and the premise is that there's this girl. um, Their mother doesn't know who the father was. It's one of the two guys. They decide never to get a test. Two guys. Two, yeah. Yeah, that's right. They decide <laughs> never to find out who the actual father is because right. nobody wants to know. So she has my two dads, and that's kind of the premise of the show. Actually, you know, surprisingly, stuck around for a while. And there was, remember, the, there was the judge, the lady, and she was like the fish's wife, Ava Gooda's wife on the show Fish. And she was always like the, checking in on him to make sure, you know, that the guys were uh, doing what they're supposed to be doing and taking right. care of their daughter and uh, a show I you know I, I did watch. Um, next on my list would be, and I'm sure you probably watched this from 1986 to 91, and that would be Head of the Class. Oh yeah, that, I completely forgot about that one. That was yeah, that was a show we watched every week. Right, right. Uh, Howard Hessman. Yep, yep. Johnny Fever. That was the show he went to basically after WKRP in Cincinnati. At least that that we saw, and it's the first time we ever see. Uh, Future Mrs. Mike Tyson, Robin Givens yeah. is on the show. There's, you know, there's a few people that, yeah. that were on the show, but it it's one that we watched fairly often. And then they even made a transition for the main character um, when Howard Hessman kind of stepped down. I forget what the what the teacher's name was. That kind of he was British. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah Scottish. British, yeah. yeah, but a show that was um, you know super popular. That was an ABC show. Uh, another one that. Um, Two, two of them are kind of similar, in a way. Uh, see if you remember these. 227 mm-hmm. and the show Amen. Yes. So Amen was the uh, Sherman Hensley. He's, you know, he, he's no longer George Jefferson. He's not a pastor, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So that's kind of the premise of that show. And then 227. Well, he's a deacon. He's a deacon. Clifton Curtis is the is pastor, the pastor the yes. Right. And he was from That's My Mama. Right. Yeah. Right. And then 227 takes... Um, Marla Gibbs, who had been on the Jeffersons, mm-hmm. and she was Florence, and then she got the show, and she's like, does she she owns the apartment building, or she's like somehow, and like I just remember like that character Jack A was yeah. on there. She's like the sassy that's, neighbor, that's right, Jack A. So that's you know kind of some similar overlap with some of these shows. Okay. So two two seven went from eighty five to ninety. Amen went from eighty six to ninety one. A show I you know I, I saw. I got to admit, it wasn't my favorite. 
1983 to 1990 was Mama's Family. Yeah, I, I didn't like that show. Neither did I. And, no. and maybe it just wasn't for us. Maybe it was for a different age group. Well, it was originally on the Carol Burnett show where where Vicki Lawrence would, played that character. Right. And Harvey Corman played um, the, bro- the brother or no, the son. Well, Harvey Corman was like the son-in-law. Okay, that's right. So Carol Burnett's character was Mama's daughter. Daughter. And then, yeah, Harvey Corman was the son-in-law. On the TV show, it was an actor by the name of Fred Berry. Okay. And he was on F Troop from back in the 1960s. Right. You know, veteran actor, but he's no Harvey Corman. I mean, I to me, I thought any any sketch on Carol Burnett to me was made by Harvey Corman. Well, I, I think, and, and you know, fans of Mama are, are going to say, I don't know what I'm talking about because I probably don't, and I'm just trying to go by memory, but I think the Harvey Corman, Carol Burnett characters were still other characters that would occasionally appear on the show, right? So it's not like they were replaced with these other actors. Well, Harvey Corman, yes. Um, it's just a totally different character that was written in? I believe so, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that that's Mama, I, I think... You know, once again, I think it probably in 1983 was written for people who are like our age now <laughs> and probably would have liked, liked it. But um, still a show, obviously was popular. And then my final show from the 80s that I watched, and that was, it had two, two lives. It started out as Valerie's family or Valerie mm. and then became the Hogan's. The Hogan's, yeah. Because I always liked Jason Bateman. Yes. And so that's what kind of drew me in with this show. And he, you know, it, it started with uh, with Valerie Harper as the main character. She's Valerie Hogan. And at some point it becomes Sandy Hogan because Sandy Duncan comes in and plays the part. But Jason Bateman starts as just one of the kids. And this is kind of the role that put him out there. It is. That's, you know, he was on the show Silver Spoons, played his, the uh, kind of the arch rival nemesis right. of, of Ricky Stratton. But you're right. This this was the show that kind of made him the the teen heartthrob. He ended up coming out with uh, Teen Wolf two during this time, which uh, you know when you're a successful TV actor, you get the movie, mm-hmm. you get the sure. movie role. Um, but yeah, Justin Bateman, this this was kind of his breakout role, right? And that's all I have for the eighties. So I just have a couple more. Uh, one was a spinoff of the show Perfect Strangers which ended up becoming more popular than the original, and that was Family Matters with Steve Urkel yes. and oh, Carl sure, yeah. Winslow. Once again, I think of that and, as a 90s show. Uh, but you're right, because it, it, it debuted in 1989, so what it, it ran from 89 I, to 98. Actually, I think I have it on my 90s list. So, okay, yeah. Um, another one is came out in 1989 and ran for four seasons to 1992, and this was a sitcom starring... Of all people, Richard Lewis and Jamie Lee Curtis, and it was called Anything But Love, and it was a sitcom that was on from uh, ABC from 89 to 92, and this was a show that Amy and I watched every week. So basically, he plays, um, he works in an office, as does uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, and they end up falling in love with each other in the first first season, and then they, uh, they end up you know having this relationship, but... It was called Anything But Love. Richard Lewis was somebody that you and I thought was hysterically funny. There was a there was a sitcom pilot that came out where he played the son of Don Rickles. Oh yeah, and it only it only aired for like one or two episodes, and then it was taken away from existence. Right. But 
the the show itself was pretty poor up until about five minutes where they're in jail <laughs> and Don Rickles suddenly becomes Don Rickles. Right. And you and I just could not stop laughing. He insults everybody in the, in the everybody in the, in the holding cell. Yeah. He literally went around and insulted everybody. And you can tell he was doing it off the cuff because some of the characters were breaking character and yeah. starting to like chuckle. Cause there was a guy who was, who was supposed to be like a tough guy. And I think Don Rickles called him dancing with chopsticks. Yeah. Or so it was this, it was this big Asian guy in there and he had a headband on. Yeah. Like, like a, and, and he goes, oh, who's this guy? Dancing with chopsticks? And it's the, <laughs> the guy laughs. <laughs> yeah, right. The, the guy who's supposed to be playing this really mean, tough guy actually starts chuckling. <laughs> so that was uh, Anything But Love with Richard Lewis and Jamie Lee Curtis. And the last one, everybody remembers as a 90s show. Well, uh, But it actually debuted in December of 1989 with its very first Christmas episode, and that would be The Simpsons. Yeah, uh, with uh, from 1989 to uh, today to now, 35 seasons to uh, January 2024. Yeah. It's still on. Unbelievable, 35 seasons. I think it's the longest running show uh, or scripted show because 60 Minutes has been on longer. Okay, but I think uh, yeah, those those shows have been uh, they're the two of the longest. <laughs> Thank you.